Grace on display next on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Join us. Welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. What we're about to look at today from a cultural perspective was pretty shocking. David does something that is quite amazing, yet found here is real grace on display. Care to display grace as a believer in Christ? We have a couple of examples for you as our series, The Life of David Continues. Please join us from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Our teacher and pastor, Pastor Phil Howard, will take us to 2 Samuel chapter 9 as we take a look at this grace on display with this edition of Truth For Today now, here's Pastor Phil Howard as we examine together what this grace looks like. When you study theology, they, call it, they talk about analogia scriptura. It's just the Latin for the analogy of scripture that many times when you study doctrine, let's say if you're in Ephesians, uh, it's good to illustrate that doctrine by an Old Testament story. And when you're in the Old Testament, you ought to look for a New Testament uh, verse to maybe tie it to. But many believers, I think, they read Old Testament stories and they say, well, that's nice. Uh, but they never get, as it were, the theological lesson being taught or what are the uh, truths involved with it. So you need a, kind of a cross-referencing. That's why Bibles develop cross-references to try to weave this. This is one God speaking, 66 books over 1,600 years. 40 some human authors, but all one author ultimately. And so they all complement, never contradict. And so when you look at the, the story we're going to look at, just by itself, you may get it or you may not, but it just is a filled with uh, the stories that we find in our own salvation. And I'll show you why. Look at the passage. Let me read it to you. That, I, for, I didn't do that the first service, but you need to get the story. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. Uh, they called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba, your servant? He replied. The king asked, is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Now, that shows you how bad the devastation of that dynasty had become. Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodibar. So King David had him brought from Lodibar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant? That you should notice a dead dog like me. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, 
I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named uh, Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet. Now, we're going to see in this marvelous story, grace on display. The word for kindness is the Hebrew word kesed. It's the word we get for grace, favor, uh, loyal covenant love. You've got to use many words to really define this Hebrew word. But David says, I want to show this man, Mephibosheth, God's kind of kindness in verse 3. So it illustrates the kindness of God toward him. I want to say something about uh, the grace just grace in general. Number one, you are not born into a race that is inherently graceful. People are not inherently gracious, not at all. The natural bent is merit. You earn everything. You earn favor, you earn a living, you earn a reputation, you, you earn it. And I find some people, uh, you cannot give them anything. Their pride won't let you. You can't even give them a compliment. I've had them tell me, do not do that, because uh, uh, their pride makes them act like they don't need a compliment. They won't ever let you wash their feet, as it were, because if anybody's going to be doing the giving, it will be them, and that's wonderful on one side, but on the other side, there can be this attitude of, I earn everything I get, all my accolades I've earned, everything I've got, I don't need what you want to offer. I don't need anything given in grace because I earn everything. And so you grow up with sayings like this, uh, the fittest survive. Have you ever heard that? Well, that didn't come from the Bible. That came from evolution. Darwin came up with that. But I know people that believe that. If you don't get yours, too bad. You're not, if you're not good as me, you don't deserve to get what I get because it is grace. Oh, no, it's works. You hear a statement like, winning is not everything, it's the only thing. You ever heard that? Uh, I always ask, what do you do with the loser? Shoot them? And it's real tough. What do you do with a kid that strikes out every time and you put him in little league ball, and maybe he's in beginning ball, would you keep the kid if he struck out? Or remind him the rest of his life he struck out? You see, even in a family circle, you don't necessarily grow up with grace. You grow up with merit. I've got to earn my way. Now there's one side of that is a work ethic, and that's fine. One side of that is I, I've got to be a contributor. I'm not born to entitlement. I understand all of that. But I'm talking about graciousness. That we go through life, some people think I deserve everything I got. Because I am somebody. Others, when they're taught by God, can learn God can give you what you never deserved. And it'd be greater than anything you could have ever deserved. 
Because there's two concepts in God. One is mercy and one is grace. And mercy is the negative side. Mercy says, I will not give you what you deserve. My judgment, my wrath, whatever. And mercy says, I will minus it. I will be rid of it. Grace says, I'll give you what you never could earn. So mercy gets rid of the negative. Get, don't give me what I don't want. Judgment. And grace gives me a righteousness I never could have earned. Romans. Anybody ever read that book? So mercy and grace. Mercy cancel out the negative. Grace give me something positive. And we hear these verses. For by grace have you been saved. Not of yourselves. That is the gift of God. Through grace by faith. Titus also says. How's Ephesians 2.8? Titus 3, 4, and 5. His great mercy he has bestowed upon us. The kindness of God brought you to salvation and washed you in the bath of regeneration. And you're saved. It's marvelous. It's the only way God populates heaven. That God is willing to take people that are unworthy of it and he gives it away. You're going to heaven as a divine gift. Not anything you earned. And we want to begin this story. Let's look at the story of this boy. Uh, his grandfather, Saul, has died on Mount Gilboa. Uh, his father, Jonathan, died. If you read 2 Samuel 4, you'll find out that when he's, he was five years of age when his dad died. And the nurse picked him up because they began to flee because they figured, all right, if Grandpa Saul's died and Dad's died, we're next because we're a part of the royal dynasty. But the nurse picked him up, five-year-old boy, obviously tripped on something, and when they fell, it broke his ankles. And of course, they're in flight and on the road, and along the way, the bones, in those days, imagine, the ankle bones were not set right, so he grew up with crippled feet. And so he, all of his life, he's only known by two things. You're a cripple, and you're Jonathan's boy. He was not known by his virtue, he was known by his disability. He was not known by anything great. His name means a shameful thing. Mephibosheth means a shameful thing. The Hebrew uh, even is tied to the worship of Baal. It's derivative. So when you called him to dinner, if the boy understood the language, it'd be like saying, stupid, come to the meal. Or, or shame. Some think it's shameful word, some a shameful thing. There's some debate in the Masoretic text. But we know shame is inherent in the meaning of Mephibosheth's name. I don't know what the mom or dad must have been thinking to name a boy shame. And when they uh, went to find the boy, they found him out at a place called Lodibar. In Hebrew, lo is no. Debar, they debate. There's a one word that if it's vowels are right, it's the word for word. One says it's just thing. Several meanings have been given to it. The older meaning that I grew up with was Lodi Bar was the place of no pasture or a barren place. It's believed to be 20 miles east of Galilee. And in these times, maybe it was a barren land. It was a place they went in exile, in refuge. Get out of Jerusalem. Get away from the blood avengers. Get away from anybody that hates Saul. Get the boy out. And so by the time David beckons him to come, and he sends out his men to get him. He's in a barren wasteland. Some call it no thing. It was so bad, 
you'd probably think of it as uh, Death Valley, if you've ever been in California, or the Dead Sea area. It wasn't nice. He's got a name of shame. He's from a neighborhood that's now barren. He's around 12 to 18 years of age. He's the only remaining survivor. And he's a cripple. And one day, David, once he's gotten into office, he's been a king now for maybe seven to 10 years. And one day, something just goes off in his head. I wonder if there's anybody left in Saul's household that I might show kindness to them because of my love for Jonathan. And if you read back in 1 Samuel 18, Jonathan loved David, 18.1. If you read on in chapter 20, when Saul was chasing David, Jonathan met David. And it's when they worked out the deal to shoot the arrow, to warn David. And when they met together, Jonathan said to David, David, I believe you're going to become the king. I want you to make a covenant with me out of love, since we love each other, that if I survive you, I won't kill your descendants. And if you survive me, and you come into the throne room, and you become the king, do not kill my descendants. Now this is probably 20 years past that oath. And David one day is going around the palace, and he's thinking all of a sudden, I wonder, I made a promise to Jonathan but everybody's dead. And he made inquiry. Find out. Go through the rolls. Check out the tax records. See if Jonathan has any loved ones out there. And they go fetch him. I like that. That fetch is the King James translation of uh, verse 5. So King David had him brought. The old King James is fetch. I like it. He went and fetched him. And uh, imagine a boy between 12 and 18 years of age and all of a sudden. Now this is coming from the king. There weren't just about three straggly soldiers out there. Anything Joab had a part of, I'd be afraid of. They answered the door. Are you Mephibosheth? Probably the maid answered. Probably wasn't able to get his crutches up quick enough. Said, are you related to Jonathan? What would you think if your whole household had been exterminated? Would this be good news or bad news? You notice the first thing David told him when he came into his court, don't be afraid. This boy says, I'm getting ready to be executed. I'm getting ready to be eliminated. And so... They bring him to David. And David did something that I think is beautiful. As busy a man and as many names, he knew the boy's name. Hi, Mephibosheth. He didn't say, cripple, come in. He didn't say, bozo, come in. He said, Mephibosheth. When you know their name, you've taken a little time to get to know them. I remember the first time I went into Howard Hendricks' class. I'd always heard about his teaching ability. He's the only teacher that I'd never met that when I walked in his class, he walked up and said, Hi, Phil, we're glad you're in this class. I thought, how does he know my name? He's never met me. Well, he'd had his secretary put name tags around every table, and so I went to my name tag. He's looking on the other side. He had my name. Hi, Phil. I thought, man, he knows me. 
Rich Rollins was here six months before I quit calling him Collins. <laughs> I remember the day he broke down and cried. Uh, if you're in this church, you're here by sovereign election. Well, David says, uh, bring him in. And he begins to talk to him. And I just want to rehearse. Who is the object that he wants to sow grace on? The object is a part of a dying dynasty. Uh, he's a cripple. Did you know that you weren't allowed as a cripple to ever be in a king's court? If the kings had guests come down from Babylon or Egypt, you never wanted anything that made your court look vulnerable. You showed off strength and wealth. Hezekiah did that, and it only made the Babylonians more greedy to invade. He should have never shown them the gold he had in Jerusalem, and he paid for it. But you don't want any cripples in your court. Cripples don't belong in palaces. And David brings him up, and he says, I want to tell you, I want to be good to you for Jonathan's sake. You haven't earned anything I'm going to give you. It's because I love your dad that I want to be so good to you. And over and over in the chapter, two things resound. In storytelling, two things, two themes keep running through here. Kindness and eating at the table. I mean, it's just, he says eating at the table four times. I get to eat at the table, eat at the table, eat at the table, eat at the table. I mean, the storyteller repeats it, weaves it in. He's wanting you to get something from an exile, from a cripple to a king's table. All because he loves me? No, he loves someone else and he's going to give me the favor. I want to share six things we learned about the grace of God from the story. Number one, God is willing to be gracious to you for the sake of another. Did you know that God says he's willing to forgive you because of Christ, not because you deserve it? The only reason he said in Ephesians 4.32, God the Father forgives you for Christ's sake. He never forgives you because you're so nice. I want to say something about the grace of God. You may not like it, but God didn't ask you to write the Bible. Romans 9 says, God will have mercy on whom he wants to have mercy. And I see people all the time saying, well, God better do this, he better do that. You better be quiet. <laughs> you can be history. God does not have to be gracious. He has to be just. Just is inherent in his character. Mercy, he said, in Romans 9, he said, you tell Moses that I will be merciful to whom I will, I'll harden whom I will, and I don't propose to unravel, unravel all that theology and all the tensions there, but I just take it at face value. See, I believe a lot of things in the Bible I can't explain. I just believe it. Well, if you believe that, you believe man's a robot. It didn't say that in the verse. It says God can display his mercy wherever, whoever, whenever. It's a sovereign thing. If God had to give it to you, he wouldn't be sovereign, and he couldn't be gracious, because if he had to, it's a debt. And grace is never a debt. Grace is a gift. And you don't have to give a gift. Romans 4, 5, Ephesians 2, 8, Titus 3, 5, and the whole Bible. Grace does not incur a debt, and it's not given out of debt. 
So you want to know, why is God willing to be so good to me? It's not because you're any better sinner than anybody else. It's because of his son. And for some strange reason, he's willing to be stuck with you and I for eternity. Imagine that. You know what? God, God says, if I put into motion my love and my grace and my wooing, if I save this person, since you, I understand the Bible to say you're once his, you're always his, I'm stuck with them forever. That's quite a commitment. There's some folks you can like because you know you only have to be with them a week. You can get through a week. But what about forever? I mean, would you want to pick someone like you to be with forever? Go right on. Let's move on. I mean, there's some days you look in that mirror, you don't want to be with yourself. Uh, he said in verse 1, I want to show them kindness for Jonathan too. God's grace seeks uh, fallen cripples. Uh, he sends out the messenger to find not an addition to the courtroom. They don't need this. And when he goes and gets this crippled boy and he fetches him, bring the cripple to me. What a compliment of a king. I know your infirmity. I know your disability, but I still invite you to royal privilege. And I want you to know that all of us have been crippled through the fall. You ever want a cripple? You might, might be a cripple emotionally. I understand that when Adam sinned, the entire race was poisoned from the head down. And that our emotions are twisted. That our thinking becomes twisted. That our health is twisted. Everything about us was kind of thrown off. Death set into the race. And we're born dying. We're born dead in sins. We're born with wrong thinking. If you read Ephesians, we were empty in our thinking. We were vain in our thinking. That our will was warped. We did not love God. Messed up, crippled by a fall. And all of a sudden you hear the king wanting to fetch you to come to his palace. He says, Lord, you don't know what's wrong with me. He said, oh, I know everything wrong with you. But you don't know who I've slept with. You don't know what I've stolen. You don't know how many times I've shot up. You don't know what, what all I've done. You don't know my light life. You don't know where I grew up in Lodibar. I grew up in a no place neighborhood. You don't know my own people call me shame. My own people aren't impressed with me. And a king is bidding me to come to a palace where the food never runs out. God is sending out an invitation to the cripples of the race to come to his palace because he's got a feast. Uh, verse 7, God's grace restores what we lost. Uh, he lost his land. And you know what? For a Jew to have lost his land, when they went over there in that land uh, with Joshua, every family got allotments of land. The land is precious. It, and they're still fighting over land over there, aren't they? Who can be here? Uh, would Jerusalem be an Arab center or the Jewish capital? I mean, that battle, goes, that land is very precious. I've seen it before. And, and be truthful, much of what I've seen in Palestine, I wouldn't trade California for. I mean, there's rocks and desert. And I mean, it is in many parts a desolate place. But it's not that way to the people who inherited it. This is our land.
And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Our time together has come to a close here, but as we leave you, we'd like to do so with our address and phone number if you'd like to contact us. And we would love to hear from you. You see, Truth For Today airs here on KFAX in part through financial partnerships with our listeners, such as yourself. If the Lord is prompting you to make either a one-time gift or be a monthly donor, we would love to hear from you. No gift is too small. No gift is too large. Please take a moment and contact us at 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. And as our way of saying thank you for your partnership with us, we'll make you a TFT sustainer, which includes our quarterly newsletter, a once-a-year special gift. Take a break with Pastor Phil, the weekly video devotional, into your email box every week. Again, it's all part of our TFT Sustainers Package. Contact us and learn more at 855-833-9864, or simply stop by our website, valleybible.org. And you can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. As you stop by our website, valleybible.org, please remember other resource materials are available there. Other series is taught by Pastor Phil, some of the books that he's authored. You can also find out about Valley Bible Church, who we are and what we believe, how to get here, times that we worship. And you're more than welcome to join us. Again, you'll find it all at valleybible.org. Stop by and pay us a visit. Then drop us an email and let us know you did pay us a visit. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Music.